Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women get to the root cause of their period problems and hormonal imbalances. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my new company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Dr. Mary Pardee, to our show today. Dr. Pardee is a functional medicine practitioner and naturopathic medical doctor who specializes in integrative gastroenterology, hormones, and gut-brain health. She is a founder of Modern Med, a telemedicine and virtual wellness company, and she's also my doctor and someone I respect and admire very much. We'll talk to Dr. Party about what the heck gut health is and why it plays such a big role in your happiness, energy, confidence, and overall well-being. Looking at the stats, 74% of people live every day with embarrassing and uncomfortable issues such as bloating, constipation, reflux, or irregular stools. It doesn't have to be this way. We'll dive deep into the impact that your gut health has on your hormones, mental health, and physical health and the biggest things you can do today to get your body back into balance and thrive both inside and out. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pardee. Thank you, Yasmin. I'm excited. Me too. Well, there's so much I want to talk to you about, so I'm going to jump right in. So we learned so many things in school, but one thing we never learned is how to take care of our bodies. What are a couple things that all people, especially the women listening in today, are doing today that you think are significantly impacting our gut health? Yeah, it's so true. We, we have health classes, right? But we really don't go into some of the biggest things that affect our health on an everyday basis. And so a couple of the big things that I tell, especially women, are really, really simple things. But one of the things is eat real food. So if you can't pick it from a tree, if your grandmother doesn't know what it is, those are some of the big things that we talk about, but whole food. So vegetables, fruits, lean protein sources, and avoiding things that are in a package. It doesn't mean that things that are in a package are always bad for you. It's just a general rule of thumb that if it is a whole food, then it's going to go through your system a little bit easier and your body will recognize it and knows how to digest it. And so one of the easiest things we can do is removed packaged bars, protein bars, even the things that we consider like health bars, a lot of those, I specialize in digestive health. A lot of those are going to aggravate our digestive system because some of them are packed with prebiotics to increase their fiber content. And a lot of us can't digest that much at once. So if you've ever eaten a full protein bar thinking, okay, this is good for me. This is going to get me through the day. And then you end up bloated and your stomach is distended and you just feel kind of like bogged down a good chance that it was just too much, either the inulin or some of the prebiotic fibers for you and your system. So that's an easy one to clean up the diet is just whole foods, vegetables, fruits, clean protein sources. Really, really simple. I love that. And I feel like you're talking to me because in my old life, I would grab a coffee from whole foods and a bar. And that was my go-to for years, Mary, you know, and 
I definitely wasn't living a normal lifestyle. I was working crazy hours and clearly not eating well. And I thought I was healthy, but the first thing you touched upon was my life for so long. So I'm glad you brought that up. And one thing I want to jump into also is what is the gut? Why do some people think it's a second brain? Like, why are we talking about this today? Oh yeah. I love this. I love this question. So the gut, if you want to talk about it, when I say gut, at least what I refer to is the entire GI system. So I'm not just talking about the stomach, which is sometimes what we call the gut. I'm talking about the entire GI system, which is everything starting from the mouth all the way down to the anus where everything exits, right? And that entire system is about 30 feet long in an adult, which is huge with a lot of area, a lot of surface area that's covered there. So it encompasses everything from your esophagus, your mouth, your stomach, into the intestine, small intestine and large intestine. And it's the site for our gut microbiome, which is about 100 trillion microorganisms that are there, about three pounds of bacteria. About 70% of the immune system is in the gut as well. And then, yes, we call it the second brain for a really good reason. The gut contains about 200 million neurons. And so to put that in perspective, a cat's brain is about 200 million neurons. So you have more than a cat's brain in your gut for the nerves that are there. And what's really interesting about the gut, which is different from a lot of other organs, is it can operate totally by itself. And so it has the enteric nervous system, really a gut-specific nervous system, that doesn't require any input from the brain to work. So it has its own communication system within itself. So that's where we call it the second brain, because it really does have this network of nerves that can function without any input of information from our brain, which is usually how things happen. Your brain says, okay, we should move our right arm, sends a signal, and then we move our right arm. Our right arm can't move by itself, whereas the gut can function totally by itself. Incredible. Oh my gosh. I'm so fascinated and doing a bit more research on you and gut health. It's amazing. And we'll dig into this a little bit later, just its impact on immune function. Like you said, energy, how stress plays a role. I mean, this is a big deal. So I'm just super excited to even go in the weeds of this. So before we jump into all that, I'd love to hear about your story, right? You've been very open and honest about your upbringing. And I'd love to learn more about what really pushed you in this field of gut health. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that people come to naturopathic medicine, functional medicine, integrative medicine, usually because they have their own story and they had to do a little bit more digging and conventional medicine wasn't enough by itself. So we had to go and find alternative options. And so that was definitely the case for me. Starting as a really, really young child, basically as soon as I can remember, I had gut issues. And so I had reflux and constipation. I was diagnosed with IBS. I would get migraines all the time. Like I had these chronic issues as a really young girl. And so by the time I was a preteen, I had already had a colonoscopy and endoscopy, which is where they scope your entire GI system. I had had multiple rounds of testing through different doctors And I still didn't feel good. I was put on a bunch of the medications that they offer for IBS and nothing was really working for me. And so eventually I came to a doctor and he looked at my chart and it was huge. You know, it was like this big file for a young girl. And he was like, listen, you've done every test. Nothing is wrong with you. You have IBS and you just have to live with it. Mm. And his bedside manner was horrific. And I left that appointment in tears And I was really discouraged at 
somebody who could tell you there's nothing else you can do. And I just don't think that that should be a message as a doctor that we give to our patients because there's usually something else that we can do. And it may not be in the field of GI, which was my case. And so when I say that, I'm talking about meditation or stress reduction or thinking about alternatives that are actually influencing our gut, which was a big piece of my problem. I had anxiety as a young girl too. And nobody told me, Hey, your anxiety could also be affecting your gut. Mm. And so there's these things that we really need to start to look outside of the box and be more creative with the tools that we give our patients to help them on their healing journey. And so from that point on, I was like, listen, there has to be other options. And so I started digging into the research, looking at alternatives and really wanted to become the doctor that I didn't have. Like I wanted to be the doctor that didn't tell their patient there's nothing else we can do. I wanted to be the doctor that was nurturing, that gave alternatives and that really had an honest discussion about how mental health affects your gut health. So this has kind of been my journey, but is just in my own personal healing story to become the doctor that I didn't have. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. 
If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. Incredible. And I know you've touched upon this on your own journey. It's something you speak a lot about. But with your patients, you've said outside of doing the normal GI work that you do, you know, so much of chronic illness and illness is tied to emotional, spiritual, and mental health. So I know you've had your own journey, but how much of that do you see with the patients you see today? Yeah. And so it's actually well established in the research that if you have had any childhood trauma or anxiety, depression, or just a stress-related condition, you're much more apt to have IBS or any of the functional bowel disorders like dyspepsia, which is like indigestion as well. And so that is a big thing that I talk to with my patients because a big percent of our patients have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And so we're always discussing that. I think in every chronic disease, mental, emotional, spiritual health is involved at some degree. At what degree, we don't know, but it's dependent on the person. But it's a conversation that I have with all of these patients because if it's been there for a long time, it likely is affecting your mood or your mood affected it or probably both, meaning that it's bi-directional. They both affect each other. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit more about that because I think it's fascinating. If you don't have strong gut health, it is directly relating or it's impacting the stress in your life, right? It's not only vice versa. Absolutely. It's bi-directional. And so this is a conversation that we have to start having because some people want to blame their gut health solely on their mental health or their mental health solely on their gut health. And so we can't pick sides here. We just have to say they both affect it, meaning that your gut health is going to affect your mental health and your mental health and stress is going to affect your gut health. And that's just how it works. And it does become cyclical and can spiral on itself. And so our body was totally designed to deal with acute stressors. I just posted about this on Instagram. Yeah, I was wanting to talk about this. I'm excited. Yes. Yeah. So our body humans are meant to deal with acute stress. It's not something that we want to get rid of in our life. Acute stress, usually we're evolved to deal with about 60 to 90 seconds of acute stress though. Pretty short duration. This could be, you know, if you look in the wild, an animal starts chasing you, you get away from it and you brush it off. So you see, you know, zebras that will go run away from a tiger or a lion, and then they brush it off. And 60, 90 seconds later, they're eating grass again, like nothing ever happened. In our lives right now, that's not the case. And so sure, we have acute stressors, but we have way more chronic stressors that are lasting days, weeks, months, years, right? Since your population is mostly women, we have women that are being CEOs, moms, now they're homeschool teachers from COVID, taking on all of these roles that are ending up being added stressors on the body. Even if you love them to a certain degree, if something becomes too much, it becomes too much. And so what happens in our body when we deal with a stressor in the acute sense, what should happen is your heart rate increases, your breathing rate increases, you shunt your blood flow to your muscles away from your GI system. Mm. And you shut down reproduction, you shut down libido so that you don't care about having sex because your only goal is to survive in that moment. 
So if you think about if a tiger is coming at you, reproduction, digestion, go out the window. They're not that important. Instead, we want to be able to run away and we want our heart beating fast. We want to be able to breathe. So it all goes to those organs that are prioritized survival. That's what should happen if it's an acute stressor. Now that stressor should go away rather quickly. And if it doesn't, then this becomes a prolonged period of time where digestion is not optimized. And it said, okay, that's not a priority. We're going to shut it down. And so you can see if you're in a period of chronic stress, which most people are, that you may not have a good libido. You definitely may not want to go to the bathroom because your digestive system is shut off. So constipation, bloating, reflux, dyspepsia, these are all symptoms that can occur with chronic stress exposure. It's incredible because despite my lifestyle now being a lot more manageable, I think I've worked in very intense environments for over 10 years that my body, you've mentioned this in another podcast, you asked, are you contracting your abs all the time. And I notice I'm not breathing. And I think mentally I'm not stressed, but I think I'm still unwinding that old lifestyle I have. And I catch myself not breathing. And I know that can make a big impact right in your day-to-day life. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big one for me though. And I find women do this, especially women that have bloating, they'll actually contract their abs so that it looks like they have a flat stomach and it's subconscious and then it becomes wired into their brain. So they're not even consciously doing it. Mm. but they are doing it. And so that it just becomes a habit. And so I'll have people do a body scan and just see like, where are you holding tension? Is it in your shoulders and you're predisposed to headaches? That makes sense. Or is it in your abdomen and you're predisposed to bloating or reflux or constipation or diarrhea? So that's a survival mechanism. So one thing that happens when we go into survival mode is that we go on the balls of our feet to prepare to be attacked by somebody And we tense our muscles to brace for impact. And so it's a very normal evolutionary response. But if we are stuck in there, it's going to affect how our body functions and tension and how we feel and pain levels, of course. Yeah. And I know in another interview, you also mentioned some of your patients, and I think you said, particularly women, sometimes they'll say, you know, I haven't had a bowel movement in a few days and that is a red flag. So I'd love for you to talk more about that because I do know some of my own friends who might think that's normal when I never realized how bad that actually could be for your body. Yeah. There are so many women that are constipated and don't even know it because they think it's normal. So you should be having one bowel movement every day for sure. And so if you're skipping multiple days and you feel like you're pregnant and your stomach doesn't feel good, it's not normal. So just because something is common, meaning your friends also don't go to the bathroom does not mean it's normal. And most people feel a lot better when they have regular bowel movements every single day. So we're looking for about one to three bowel movements in a day, feeling like you fully voided as well. So the amount matters I typically tell people the average length of stool in a given day should be about your wrist to your elbow. So we're talking here. So it's a good amount of stool, really dependent on how much food you're eating too. So it could be more, it could be less depending on how much food you're eating. But constipation is not normal and you can fix it. And it starts with stress management and also making sure you're getting enough water intake is a huge cause of constipation. Yes. And I think for bloating as well, right? Does water impact that? as well? Of course. Yeah. So you want to make sure your GI system is moving and regulating things. So I tell people to drink water between your meals, not with your meals. 
And that helps with the digestive process. So you don't have a huge volume in your stomach of water mixed with food, but water between meals will help make sure that things keep moving through. So things don't ferment in the intestines, causing gas and bloating. And one thing I want to dig a little bit deeper in, you mentioned how obviously stress and poor gut health can impact your hormones. And you've talked a little bit about the libido, but I'm continuously blown away how so many women don't even know the basics of their cycle, including myself up into this last year. So I'd love to hear more about how the gut health is really tied to our hormonal health as women. Yeah, I love what you guys are doing too, with seed cycling and hormones and everything. It's so needed, this message to get out there. Women need to be more educated about their cycles and men need to be educated about a woman's cycle as well. So this is not just for women either. It it benefits men and women as well if you have a female partner or vice versa. So let's go through the woman's cycle first and then I'll talk about how it affects gut health, which is huge. And if you're a woman, you know that your gut and motility changes during your cycle probably. So whether it's constipation or diarrhea at different points in the cycle, and it's hormonally related. So I think it's important to realize because you can do things preventatively so that it doesn't happen. So there's really three phases to a woman's cycle. We start with a follicular phase, which is day one, first day of your period. And then we're going to the ovulatory phase, which is about day 12 to 14. But that first follicular phase of the cycle, that's when you're starting your period. And that's when hormones are going to be the lowest at the beginning of that. And then estrogen will start to rise in the follicular phase. We really say estrogen is the dominant hormone in that first follicular phase of the cycle. Estrogen happens to be related to serotonin production. And so serotonin can help reduce pain in the GI tract. Serotonin also can help promote motility, movement of the GI tract. And so when estrogen is at its higher And we can experience less pain and better motility movement. So women will typically say that once their cycle starts, they actually may notice a lot more bowel movements or even diarrhea. But then towards the middle follicular phase, things become more regular and people with IBS are going to be less likely to have pain or discomfort at that time. So IBS is really, really common, but for every one man that has IBS, five women do. And so this is not a coincidence. It likely has to do with hormones as part of the piece there. Then you have your ovulatory phase, which is where estrogen is going to surge. And it's only a couple of days. That's where you're releasing the egg. And then you go into your luteal phase. And the luteal phase is going to be predominantly progesterone. That's there. Progesterone is going to help you maintain a pregnancy if you get pregnant. So this is talking about day 15 to then day 28 of your cycle. If you have a 28 day cycle. Progesterone, one of its roles is going to be to maintain a pregnancy, but it also slows down digestion. So it slows things down and can cause constipation. So if you're constipated a week before your period or around that time, it's probably progesterone that's doing that. We don't want to lower progesterone. That's not the ideal thing to do, but what you can do if you're prone to constipation right before your period is you can know that, put it in your phone, put a reminder on and increase your magnesium or ginger. So ginger is a prokinetic, which means it helps speeds up the intestines and can help you have bowel movements. And magnesium is a osmotic laxative. So it keeps water in there to prevent constipation or dry stools. Mm -hmm. So I always tell women, okay, if you just have constipation right before your period, take a couple capsules of magnesium 
drink ginger tea around the clock or a couple of capsules of ginger as well can be really, really helpful. And then right when your period starts, women will usually notice that bowel movements start to increase. It can actually lead to diarrhea, which is common because progesterone will really, really drop quite quickly with the period starting. But it's just to get to know your body, you know, figure out your cycles. And there's things that you can do one way or the other to help regulate you. Yeah. And I think the number one thing that has helped me so much, and I wish I did this sooner, was just simply tracking my cycle. Like you mentioned, a week before you get your period, you might be constipated. If you know that, you can adjust accordingly. And also your energy levels are a little bit lower. So how are you shifting your life to your cycle? So I think even the basics of tracking is so important. I mean, looking at your clients, do a lot of women track or do you find that helpful as well? Uh, I find it so helpful. And it's always a question I ask, always talk about women's cycles. And some women have no idea how long their cycle is. They don't know when it starts. So it's really not that common still for women to be tracking their cycles. And it is so empowering. And so I really stress that women start to track their cycles and you can track your mood with your cycle because it drastically changes and that's okay. And it's normal. But you can talk about that with your partner, which can really help build your relationship as well. And for gut health, of course, we can do so much to prevent constipation at certain periods and and just make you feel better. Yeah, exactly. And I love the element of just talking about it with your partner, because I still think there's a stigma around, oh, you're feeling a certain way because you're on your period. But it's true. Our hormones are changing every single day, the way we feel, the way we sleep, the fact that we might be a little bit more tired gearing up to your period, that is all real. And it's all related to your hormones versus men, right? Their testosterone levels are the same every single day. So we are just so different. And this is something I'm just learning about, you know, over the past year, but it's super fascinating to me to just see the difference between both of our bodies and how these changes are so real. They are so real. And if you've been in a relationship with a woman, you know how real they are and they shouldn't be a bother or something that we're trying to like get away from. It should just be something that we get interested and curious in and see how we can work best with each other, knowing how these fluctuations happen. And so I think it's a really empowering tool that couples can use is to start to understand the person's cycle. Absolutely. And I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about, because this is something I've worked a lot on and I'm still working on, is the amount of food I'm eating and the timing of eating. I know a lot of women under eat and how that really impacts not only your gut health, but your energy and your day to day. So I'd love to get your perspective on under eating for women and their impact in their lives. Yeah. So if you're constipated, the first thing that you should be asking yourself is, are you under eating? I touched on this earlier, but if you don't eat a lot of food, not a lot of food's going to come out. And so you can feel like you're constipated and it can be due to the volume of food that you're eating. And it gets so much deeper here too. And under eating for women is extremely common. This does not mean that women have to be anorexic to be under eating. There's a gradation between anorexia and a healthy eating pattern. And so it's very, very common when women are stressed, same with men, but that we can undereat. Yeah. And so some people will overeat or stress eat, and some people will forget to eat or mm-hmm. skip meals or just be too busy not to eat. So it could be unintentional restriction too. It doesn't mean that you're trying to lose weight or have an unhealthy relationship with food. It could be that you just are too busy and have forgotten to eat all day long. 
And so what else happens besides constipation is that you're not fueling your body, which means that your thyroid is going to slow down. So your thyroid is your metabolic set point. And if you don't have enough energy, enough gas going into the car, then you're going to slow down that engine. And so your metabolism can slow. So you can feel groggy. You can feel just tired, blah, brain fog. You can feel actually cold because your thermostat is going down. You don't have enough energy to heat your body. Hair loss is really common mm -hmm. under eating. Depression, very common sign of under eating as well. So if you think about it intuitively, things slow down. Constipation, metabolism, brain, all of it will slow down. The solution to that is refeeding. So it's increasing calories, getting things going again. And women are usually scared to do this because they don't want to gain weight. And what I usually tell them is you're not going to gain weight if you're just fueling your body properly with whole foods and you're still moving and you're getting your system moving again because your metabolism will respond and increase as well. And so it's something that's really, really important to gut health. But one of the most common symptoms is constipation as the first sign. Yeah. And even for me, I think a lot of people might resonate with what you mentioned in terms of you're not intentionally not eating, but you're so busy with the day. You're like, oh my gosh, it's three o'clock. I haven't eaten lunch. You feel off, but then you quickly eat. And then once you eat, sometimes you'll have a blood sugar crash, right? Like the untimeliness of the eating, like you said, can cause so many repercussions like brain fog, tiredness, you feeling groggy the next day. So I think just being able to eat throughout the day is always helpful and eat enough. I definitely have felt a difference in my life. And you know, a question I get from a lot of women I talk to is I'm not hungry in the morning when I wake up. So what do they do if they're not hungry? Because so many people don't have breakfast. We'll just have a coffee. And they're like, you know, I feel okay. But tell me more about your perspective on that. If a patient comes up to you and that's what their day-to-day -day morning looks like. Yeah. And so I am... Um open to having this discussion with women because I think everybody is different. And I definitely know some women that do better without breakfast, but I want to know, are you not hungry because you're in a stress response as soon as you wake up? If cortisol, if your stress response is on and you're anxious and you're going a million miles a minute in the morning, of course, you're not going to be hungry. Again, you're shutting off that GI system. And part of that is hunger and appetite. And so if you are already getting up and you're meditating and you're taking a slow morning and you're like, I just don't get hungry till 11 and my energy is good. My hunger is still present at 11, meaning like I have an appetite when that happens. I don't have a ton of cravings. I don't have a blood sugar crash and I feel overall really balanced in my mood then I'm like, that's fine. You can eat at 11. Like that seems like a good thing for you. Mm -hmm. But if you are the opposite and you're just too busy and you're stressed and you notice that you're irritable come lunchtime or you binge at lunch or you're falling asleep at your desk at 11, then that's not working for you. Same with some women will try to do it for weight loss, intermittent fasting, and they notice that they can't lose weight. It may be because you're overdoing it and you're putting your body in a stress response and actually adding a breakfast may help stabilize your blood sugar so that you don't binge later and make you feel a lot better throughout the day. So I'm all about trying it and seeing how it does for you, but being very much objective about it and not saying, yeah, I'm not hungry because I'm moving at hundred miles an hour as soon as I wake up. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's funny because you don't realize I could be your life, but looking back, that was me every single morning. And it's not until I heard someone like you tell me this say, 
oh, wow, you know, those are my mornings. I think I'm not stressed, but what are the first things I'm doing? I'm getting on my email. I'm getting on the phone. These are all reasons why I didn't have an appetite personally for me. And now breakfast makes me feel so much more alert. And I'm just so excited about these interviews because I personally feel just so much better, so much more productive. And I always thought I was healthy, but just to see the difference between the two with these little lifestyle and nutritional changes and people just trying, like, I want that for everybody. So I just get super excited just hearing your experience and perspective on this. And one thing you also mentioned is fasting. It did not work for me. I did a bone broth fast and Mary, it was the worst thing I could not function. And I was pushing through, but at the end of the day, I'm like, you have to listen to your body sometimes if it's not feeling good, right? Like do not continue doing stuff like that. No, no. And you hit the nail on the head when you said I tried it and I tried both things. So I tell women, try both and don't think about what is the fat or the trend that you want to do to talk about at your gym class or Pilates. Do what feels good for you. When do you have the most energy, the least cravings? When does your brain feel the most on and go with that? Because you can make other things work, but really following your intuition and your body is the best option. Amen. Yes. I love that. So for a lot of people, sometimes the world of health can feel so overwhelming. So I'd love to simplify it. I know you've mentioned a few recommendations throughout the interview, but what do you think are really the top three things that someone today can start to improve their gut health? Mm, Yeah, this is tough too. I know. We didn't touch on this one, so I'll touch on this because I'm really passionate about movement and I'm not passionate about it. It's a human necessity. Um, So I'm passionate about educating about it. And so getting 10,000 steps in per day for your gut health is going to do wonders. And so we don't think about movement with gut health as much, but it's really directly related. When you walk, you stimulate your vagus nerve and get into that parasympathetic state. So I think walking is one of the best things you can do for your gut health. It also uses the force of gravity. So if you're constipated or bloated, then the actual steps, your feet hitting the ground can help things start to move through. So that's one of my biggest things is just walk more. 10,000 steps per day, your phone tracks it. There's tons of wearables, but getting that in is really, really big for your gut health. The other thing that I tell people to do, and it's usually part of their first treatment plan, is a daily practice or a morning routine. And this isn't for the typical reason that you would think of just to be more spiritual or to be more productive or whatever it is. This is really related to stress regulation and gut health specifically. And so there's a part of your brain called your brain stem, and that is what responds to stressors. So fight or flight nervous system is there as well as your parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. The vagus nerve comes out of there as well. And that brainstem can become overactivated if you've experienced trauma or just chronic stress, which most of us have. One way to start to rewire it or start to calm it down so it can balance itself is routine. Mm -hmm. So having a morning routine, a daily practice, what that tells your brain is that you're safe. And so if there's a tiger that comes into the room, we're not going to continue our routine, right? We're going to drop everything and figure out how to deal with it. And so when your brain senses routine and daily patterns that repeat themselves, it says, oh, I must be safe. There must not be chronic stress here. I can relax and do my normal functions, including regulating my gut. 
And so that's where I have people build in a morning routine. It can be individualized to you, whatever you like to do, but I usually have them drink a glass of water in the morning to help stimulate the gut and have a bowel movement. And then a body scan. So just closing your eyes, either doing some breath work, meditation, but seeing where your body is and getting back into your body. I didn't used to know what this mean, but there's so many times throughout the day where we are in our heads and we don't know even where our body is in space or what's going on there, or are we contracting our abs or is there tension in our neck? And so just really checking in with yourself as little as five minutes can be really helpful. And then I finish off with some movement. So that's where I'll say go for a walk, but just having that regular routine that you do every morning starts to tell your body, Hey, you're safe. You got this. We're going to balance our parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system, and we're going to get the gut moving again. Hmm. Really, really helpful. I got to choose one more. Is that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's so many in there. There's so, so many. The other one I would say is probably just eating real foods. It's yeah. so, so simple, but you know, that can go such a long way. It's just getting back to a really basic, normal, balanced diet. Absolutely. And I know one thing you've touched upon as well, and you do in your practice with some of your patients is the elimination diet, right? I'd love for you maybe to talk a bit more about that and how you find that to be important in terms of dialing in your health and your gut health. Yeah, no, this is a great one too. And we'll be coming out with like a PDF or something that can be more accessible to people because we do an elimination diet, which is really common in functional medicine. But we do it more specific for gut health. So there's a few other things that I can touch on. Elimination diets, ours is about 30 days. If you're removing gluten and you really want to see how much it affects your body, it should be about 90 days for that one. But 30 days, you can see differences in. So what this means is you're removing a bunch of foods, which I'll start to list for 30 days. And then after the 30 days, you start to reintroduce them really methodically. So our elimination diet will take out gluten, dairy from the diet. We also are going to take out any packaged bars or protein bars for the reasons we talked about earlier. We're going to take out eggs, corn, grains in general. We're also going to take out any processed meats as well. Carbonated beverages, alcohol, coffee is another one. And one that is not common is nuts. So we take out all nuts and nut butters because a lot of people are eating nuts in really large quantities that we would have never ate in the wild or our ancestors wouldn't have eaten. And they can be really disruptive to the GI system. So we take them out again for 30 days. Nuts are really, really healthy for us. We want to put them back in question I always get is, does this mean seeds too? No, it doesn't. So they're different. So chia seeds are fine, hemp seeds, flax seeds, all of that. But we're taking out almonds, all the main nut groups. So we take out all of those things for 30 days. And then at the end of the 30 days, we start to put them back in. We wait a few days in between foods and we say, do you have any symptoms that increase again? Do you notice bloating, constipation, or diarrhea come back? And how do you feel? How's your energy levels? And so you put them back in one at a time and you see what can you tolerate and what can't you tolerate. And the reintroduction period is essential. So people may feel so good after the 30 days, they're like, I'm not putting any of it back in. And then they end up with a very restrictive diet. And that's not the point of it. It's to identify which foods are actually having an influence. And then the other one that I forgot is we take out raw vegetables actually in ours. Mm. 30 days because the digestive system does better with cooked foods, soups, stews, purees, 
things that are really easy to digest. Thinking about your system as um, like a baby's system. You would never give a baby a raw piece of broccoli and expect it to be able to digest it. So that's kind of what the elimination diet does, but it's a great first step. And you can do this at home by yourself as a first line before you see an integrative or functional medicine doctor too. Exactly. And I know there was a few things that I took out of my diet, dairy for me, gluten. And what's interesting that you touched upon was nuts. I used to eat nuts all the time. And I never realized it. not only was it impacting my digestive tract, but I started breaking out like crazy. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I had no idea. There was a link. I took it out of my day-to-day diet world of a difference. So Mm. I'm glad you, you definitely brought that up. That is super interesting. Yeah. So one thing I want to close on is I know you're very passionate about the side of mental health and how it impacts your body. I'd love to hear what are some of the rituals or tools you do in your life today that has helped manage your own mental health that you could share with our audience? Yeah, I love this. The biggest one is feel things. And so this is, you know, I used to numb things when I was really young, drinking alcohol or recreational drug use, and it was not to an extreme. So it looked very, very normal that even Netflix is how I used to numb things. It's like, I don't feel good. I'm going to turn on Netflix and go on a marathon. I still do that one. I'll admit to (laughs) But now I'm cognizant of it. I say, yeah, I, I know that I'm doing this at least. And then I can address it later, but it's to feel things. And when I go and I'm like, oh, I don't feel good right now. Instead of distracting myself, going shopping, Netflix, whatever it is, I say, I'm going to really feel this. And so I'll stay home. I'll cancel plans. I'll lay on the floor. I'll do a meditation and I'll either cry or get angry, punch a pillow. I'll go for a run and just start to release it. But I really try to listen to what's there and figure out maybe where it's coming from or maybe not and just feel it and release it. That's probably the biggest thing that I do currently is just to get into my body. And that's where we talked about that body scan, but really checking in with myself and saying, I was really irritable today. Like, where's this coming from? Like, it's not the person that I was irritable with. It's like something that's going on in here. So that's my number one biggest one. The other one that I really have gotten into is breath work. Mm. It's another release mechanism, but I find it to be one of the coolest ways to get in tune with things that you may not be addressing at a conscious level, but are more subconscious. And if Mm. you give them the space, they start to come out. Holotropic breathwork is the one that I really dove in. I love holotropic breathwork. It's a really intense, fast-paced breathwork where you're basically breathing into your belly, your chest, and then exhaling. So it looks like, and you do that for several minutes, up to an hour, hour and a half. um, And you get a psychedelic experience with it if you really tune into it. And so I've, you know, I've seen visions or had messages come to me through that. And I'm, I'm just fascinated by it, but it always, for me, comes with an emotional release. So mm-hmm. the last one I did, I was laughing hysterically for a few minutes, and then I was crying hysterically for a few minutes. And it was really, really powerful and beautiful. But those are really simple, easy things that people can have access to, too. I love that. And like you said, have access to This is something you can do at home. And in terms of feeling your feels, I'm right there with you. I used to be someone who never acknowledged my feelings and everything was always okay. Yasmin is always good, but I've definitely come to a place where if I'm feeling out of it, or like you said, irritable, I'll kind of pause, cancel plans, sit with it. And half the time, I actually don't know why, and I'll just go with it, but I just love feeling it. And I think it's okay to feel it makes you 
you're human, right? You are a human and you feel better going forward in your life versus holding everything in. So I love that because I think so many of us are juggling so many things and always want to just come off as okay. And it's okay to take that step back and just feel what you're feeling. And I love that. And in terms of the breath work, it's something I'm super fascinated about. So I'm excited to look into the holotropic. That's what it was called. Yeah. There's so many good ones, but holotropic has been one of the bigger game changers for me. And there's practitioners all over Los Angeles, but all over the country that can lead you through it. There's YouTubes on it as well. I think doing it in a group setting is really special because there's the energy of the group that's there. But such a good point that you made too. And in your listeners, it's like how many boss babe CEOs are listening right now? And we've kind of programmed ourselves in that business world that we shouldn't have as many feelings because we want to come off more masculine or like we're no different than the men. Versus saying, let's own this and say, we have a lot of feelings and we're going to feel them all. And feeling them all is going to free up so much mental space to get all of that boss babe stuff done that we need to do. And so if we don't express our emotions, they're going somewhere. So they're going somewhere in our body as a physical symptom, or they're going to take up our mental space somehow. Gosh, I love that. Well, Mary, I so appreciate you joining us today. I probably could have talked to you for hours about all things health. There's so much to talk about, but this was so much fun. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.